0: It would be impossible to count how many sermons have been preached in the last couple of weeks in response to Hamas's attack on Israel. Uh, many tying it in with biblical prophecies. Uh, YouTube suggested a a video sermon for me entitled Israel, Hamas and the End Times. Uh, The the text was Ezekiel 38 and in three days it had well over half a million views. Uh, Many Christians have been asking their ministers how are we to think biblically about all this? Uh, and so while this is something I wouldn't necessarily have chosen to address in a, 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 a sermon in God's providence, it, it's a topic that that we can't really avoid as we come to this next section in our Bible Overview series. As we've looked at, at the Bible under the theme of the kingdom of God, uh, we've seen uh, the four key elements of the kingdom, God's people in God's place, Under God's rule, enjoying God's presence and blessing. Uh, And last time we began to look at the present kingdom. In other words, what do God's people, God's place, God's rule and God's blessing look like today? But we only covered the first of those the last time uh, where we saw that God's people today, uh, as they have always been, are, are those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we saw, is the last Adam. He is the offspring of Abraham and he is the true Israel. Uh, The New Testament rarely uses the word Christian, uh, but it often uses the phrase in Christ. Jesus succeeded where Adam and Israel failed. They fell when tempted, whether in the garden or or in the wilderness. Uh, He stood firm. And then the promises made to Abraham, they find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. As Jesus' mother Mary and John the Baptist, father Zachariah both recognized. And so the the big question that each of us must answer is, are we trusting in Jesus? Because God's people are those, uh, not uh, merely those associated with the church, but those who have uh, faith in Jesus for themselves. So that's what we saw last time but that still leaves us with three elements of God's kingdom to think about Uh, and those are God's place, God's rule and God's blessing. Uh, I was planning to cover uh, at least two of those this morning but because of my voice we'll just look at one and that is God's place. Uh, So that's our, our theme today, God's place. Up until now, in our Bible overview, God's place has been somewhere that you could put a fence around. Uh, in other words, it's been a, a, a geographic area. There's been the Garden of Eden, and then there's been the Promised Land. Because of their sin, Adam and Eve were banished from Eden. Uh, boys and girls, to be, to be banished means to be put out of somewhere, told you have to leave. Uh, and then because of their sin God's people were exiled from the promised land Uh, and again exile to to be exiled means that you live in one place and then you go and live uh, elsewhere uh, even if you don't want to So God's people had been exiled from the promised land, uh, but then wonderfully God had brought them back. And so in Jesus' day, God's people were largely living in the promised land, though they were being ruled over by the Romans. And so the people wanted a Messiah who would come and overthrow them. But that is not the sort of king that Jesus came to be. In John 18 Pontius Pilate says to Jesus your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. And how does Jesus reply? My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus came to a people ready to fight to drive the Gentiles out of an earthly promised land. And he said if my kingdom were of this world my servants would have been fighting. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman who asked him to take sides in the debate over whether God should be worshipped in Samaria or in Jerusalem. How did he answer? He said the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Hebrews 12 uh, that was read earlier says that those who believe in Jesus have come to Mount Zion and to the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, They no longer come to a geographic location because in knowing Jesus they have come by faith to heaven itself. They no longer, as Jesus says, have to go to Jerusalem to worship. And actually... This shouldn't really have been a surprise since the Old Testament contains prophecies about the gospel going uh, to the nations of the world. The, the gospel couldn't have gone out to those nations if... Uh, there was still going to be a focus on Jerusalem. Uh, How could the gospel spread out to all the nations of the earth if people still had to go to Jerusalem multiple times a year to offer sacrifices? And so the the earthly temple had served its purpose. Uh, Speaking about himself, Jesus said something greater than the temple is here. Therefore, the temple was no longer needed. So, uh, uh, we do have brothers and sisters in Christ who look uh, one day for uh, a restored temple made of bricks and mortar uh, to be rebuilt one day and yet they are mistaken. Uh, (coughs) Why? Well, because Jesus' final sacrifice brought an end forever to the temple and all its sacrifices the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom never to be sewn up again uh, one illustration that might be helpful is to think in terms of built-in obsolescence w- well what's, what's that? Uh, during the week I started to think that we might need a new fridge uh, because our our fridge started playing up again uh, it's, not, it's not that old we got it Uh, inherited it I guess from Carla's parents when they moved to Canada Uh, but but they'd only recently got it it's maybe seven years old but it used to be that microwaves washing machines fridges would last for 20 plus years no problem Uh, but not anymore Uh, and the problem is built-in obsolescence it's a name given to the deliberate shortening of the lifespan of a product to reduce the time before customers will have to buy a new one and it's clear from the plasticky material uh, that many of these things are made of that they're not going to be a lifetime purchase and that was true for the temple in a sense Uh, Solomon himself realised when that first temple was built in all its glory Solomon said heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you much less this house that I have built and in fact the earthly temple was only ever a model of the heavenly temple Hebrews 8, five tells us that what happened in the earthly temple was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things In other words, the priests ministering in the temple on earth on behalf of the people were were just a model to teach us about how Jesus ministers to our behalf in heaven. Uh, So the temple was only ever a a model of heavenly realities. It, It was never meant to be permanent and it has served its purpose. And just as the temple has served its purpose so too has the land hebrews 11 tells us that abraham never looked forward to a merely earthly promised land it tells us that god's people in the old testament realized that they were strangers and exiles on the earth and they looked beyond this world to heaven itself so where does that leave the, the land of israel today as we see it on the news well, in terms of the purposes of God that are revealed to us in Scripture, it has served its purpose. Uh, part of that purpose was to give the Jews a place where they could be taught to live differently from the pagan nations around them, to help protect them from losing their distinct identity until the Messiah would come, uh, that they would go out and then take the gospel to all nations. Another part of the land's purpose was to be a picture of heaven itself. Heaven itself being the true promised land which we're led to uh, by a greater Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And Abraham and those of faith understood that. Uh, Hebrews makes that clear. Uh, Many of those involved in the formation of the modern day state of Israel thought that they were helping fulfill biblical prophecy uh, but at the end of the day, today's state of Israel is a human creation. Now no, maybe someone will say, well did God not give the land to Abraham and his descendants forever? Uh, uh, that's what what we, we we read in the likes of Genesis 13. That's a, It's a good question. Uh, there are two ways to answer it. And the first is that the continued possession of the land always depended on the people's faithfulness. Israel would only remain in the land if they kept the covenant. But if they broke the covenant they would be driven out. So what about the Jews today? Well they have rejected their Messiah. And that actually means that they no longer worship the God of the Bible. First uh, John 2, 23 tells us that no one who denies the Son has the Father. Jews today deny the Son and so they don't have the Father. Uh, the book of Revelation, it, it refuses to apply the name Jew to the first century Jews. It describes them as those who say they are Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Uh, if they were really Jews, they would have accepted the Jewish Messiah. So Jews who reject their own Messiah have no right to the, have no divine right to the land. Uh, the Jews may have been promised the land forever, but their remaining there depended on their staying faithful to God, uh, and the only way for them to do that in the days after the cross is to have faith in Jesus. Paul tells us that it is those who have faith who are the children of Abraham. So, were the Jews not promised the land forever? Well, well not if they were unfaithful. Uh, And the second way to answer answer that is is the way John Calvin did 500 years ago. He, He pointed out that the word forever is used in different ways in the Bible. It, it, it can mean simply to the end of a, an age, uh, and there are different different ages uh, throughout history. Uh, so, so Calvin says that th- th- that that this promise uh, meant the period uh, that would end with the coming of Christ. Uh, but that's not, not an abolition of the old promises. He says because Jesus came to give us what those signposts had always pointed towards it's as if a a father back in the day had promised his five-year-old son that when his son turned 18 he would get his own horse and then he could go and visit his friends on his horse but by the time the boy turned 18 cars had been invented and his dad gave him a car instead the son isn't going to turn around and say but dad you promised me a horse Uh, And in the same way a Jew who who believes in Jesus today isn't going to say, I don't want heaven with Jesus forever. I just want a bit of land in the Middle East for a few decades instead. Uh, And even uh, that's not a perfect illustration because uh, Hebrews says that from the very start, Abraham longed for something more than an earthly promised land. and it's also important to look at the way the apostles quote the old testament promises. James in Acts 15 quotes Amos's prophecy that God would rebuild the tent of David that had fallen and rebuild its ruins but he doesn't apply that to some kind of uh, rebuilding project in the promised land rather he applies it to the gospel being preached and to gentiles being converted In other words, to the church. It's not that the church replaces Israel, but as I said last time, it's that the Gentile believers are grafted onto God's one olive tree. So when we think today of God's people in God's place, we're we're talking about those who believe in Jesus Christ. And who uh, then joined themselves to the church of Jesus Christ. People sometimes talk about the church militant and the church triumphant. The church militant is the church on earth, fighting sin, taking the gospel out, enduring persecution. Uh, And the church triumphant is the church in heaven, having laid down their swords, resting from their labours. But it's not two different churches... uh, it's one church some members in heaven some members on earth Uh, and so the end of hebrews 12 uh, which james read earlier describes what is happening as we come to worship on earth because obviously hebrews is written to people who are living on earth But they're told you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly or, or, or church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Brothers and sisters, do we have any idea of what we are doing as we come to church? For those two hours on a Lord's day, heaven and earth are coming together. Now, it may not feel like that. In fact, the reason uh, the letter to the Hebrews was written because uh, these people were converted Jews and they were tempted to go back to the more outwardly impressive religion of Judaism. It, It didn't feel to them, Christian worship didn't feel all the time to them like heaven and earth were meeting and they look back longingly to the temple and all the 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 outward uh, pomp and ceremonies of that on the surface what we are doing today does not look like people who are coming to the heavenly Jerusalem we can't see today innumerable angels in festal gathering but that's what the bible says is taking place As Jacob said at Bethel, uh, somewhere uh, completely outwardly unimpressive but the place that the Lord Jesus had chosen to descend down he said this is none other than the house of God. Someone has said that when you see a pulpit you shouldn't think so much of a man going up but of God coming down to graciously meet with his people and speak to them as his word is preached uh, as we have Jesus himself leading us in our singing as Hebrews tells us and yet many 21st century Christians need their arms twisted to come to church or they come to church but they think the real action is in their personal devotions that as long as they read the Bible and pray every day they can take or leave coming to church And for them, privatized religion trumps the presence of angels and the more immediate presence of God. So that's perhaps a very long way of saying that there's no promised land on earth today. Even in the Old Testament, it was clear to those of faith that the temple and even the land were not permanent parts of God's plan. And in the New Testament, it is those who are of faith whether Jew or Gentile, who are described as the Israel of God. So biblically speaking, uh, we can't say that any one group of people has a divine right to possess any particular uh, square footage in the Middle East today any more than than any other nation of the world has a, a right to be in their land A war in Israel today has no more end-time significance than a war elsewhere. Wars do have end-time significance. Wars and rumours of war are some of the signs of the end of the age. But not one nation more than any other. Now that doesn't mean that the Israel of today doesn't have a right to defend itself just like any other nation does. It doesn't mean we should be afraid to call Hamas terrorists the way the BBC are afraid to Uh, nor does it mean we shouldn't expect to see a a large-scale conversion of Jews before Jesus comes back Uh, that seems to be what Romans 11 teaches and uh, perhaps in God's providence the Jews being in a land of their own will play a role in that Uh, but God's place today is not an earthly promised land but heaven itself And wonderfully, there's a sense in which we are already there, not just as we gather together, but all the time. Paul says in Ephesians that God has made us alive with Christ, raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places. You might be sitting in a pew in Strenour this morning, but if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you are already seated in heaven someone has used this illustration imagine you're attached to one of those huge elastic cords that people use to bungee jump off bridges except for us as Christians the anchor of the cord is in heaven Uh, and we uh, go about getting on uh, with life down here but but we're waiting for the day when God has appointed for the cord to twang uh, and whiz us safely back home to heaven Or to use another illustration, uh, the next big thing in technology is virtual reality. You can get these headsets which you wear and when you switch it on it's like you're in another world. You might be in your living room but inside the headset you you could be in the Grand Canyon. Uh, And the aim of the headset is to convince you of the virtual world uh, and so convince you of it that you think you're actually there. Uh, uh, perhaps we can think of the of, of the Christian. It's as if we uh, our bodies are, are in heaven, uh, and we're just wearing a virtual reality headset. Uh, but when we die, it'll be as if God switches off the headset, and we realise where we are and where we have been the whole time. But unlike with virtual reality, where we're switching off the headset brings a sense of disappointment, in heaven it will be the opposite. The point is that the Paul says that you're seated in heaven right now. How that should affect us when we're tempted to sin. If Satan tempts us, we should say, "How can I do that? I'm seated in heaven already." If we wonder whether we'll make it to the end, remember that heaven is not just our future reward; it's our present inheritance. No one can take Jesus out of heaven. And if, as Paul says, we are seated there, no one can take us out of heaven either. No one can take Jesus out of heaven uh, and no one can take his people out either. So should we get excited about biblical prophecies about Israel? Well, absolutely as long as we apply them to the place that God has prepared for those who trust in him, the true promised land, and to the church of Jesus Christ on earth, no longer limited to a small geographic area, but spread throughout the world. Does that excite you? Well, I pray that it does more and more. Amen. We'll sing as we close from Psalm one two nine. Psalm one two nine, page three two five. It's one of the, the songs of a sense that God's people sang of old on their way to Jerusalem, and which we sing on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem. On uh, one level, of these words uh, do seem appropriate to the state of Israel today. Verse one: They've sorely pressed me from my youth. Uh, verse two: The pliers plied upon my back, and long their furrows grew. Verse three: Now may all those who Zion hate. But actually, these are our words that can't be limited to any one geographic territory today but rather they are the song of the church of Jesus Christ in every age persecuted sorely pressed but not forsaken and in the final verse what is at stake is God's blessing and who is blessed today those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and as a result are seated with him even now in the heavenly places so all of Psalm 129 will stand as we sing